Welcome everyone to episode four of Between Two Docs, where Dr. Harris Cohen and myself provide you with straight talk, no politics, no hysteria, just straight COVID talk about what's happening in real life, what's new in the science, and answering your questions. We definitely appreciate the feedback and the ongoing questions you're submitting. We, we'd love to uh, keep on answering them, um, so keep them coming. Uh, we have three segments again today. Uh, first, we're going to talk about uh, some, some topical um, news items about COVID. And then in the second uh, section, we are interviewing uh, Coach Ed O'Melia, uh, who's a local youth baseball coach uh, in South Jersey, who's going to share his perspective uh, on how COVID has changed his interaction with the kids and uh, what he's done to overcome that. And then we'll wrap up uh, with addressing a few questions uh, that you sent uh, our way this week. One thing we want to mention is that we did tape the se uh, segment with uh, Coach Omelia on June 3rd, and uh, we're taping this one here on uh, June 7th uh, just because of some weather-related power outages, which many of you in this area may have also experienced. Um, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to my uh, colleague, Dr. Cohen, who's going to talk a little bit about that, that infamous drug, hydroxychloroquine, and use as a preventative uh, measure. Did you ever think that you would all be so well-versed in hydroxychloroquine back in January? The answer is no. It's a six-syllable word that has entered our lexicon, and we all speak as if we're experts. And the reality is two different uh, studies came out in the past week. The one study that was the most notorious one that came out in Lancet, unfortunately, has since been retracted based on concerns over some of the data that was used for the research. I still think there's going to be more to come on that, and I think the outcomes eventually will be similar, but we need accurate data to assess that. So let's skip the Lancet, and let's hop into the New England Journal of Medicine, who did a pretty interesting study, actually. Um, what they did was the best kind of study, which is a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, meaning... The uh, people in the experiment and the patients had no idea what they were getting. Placebo-controlled, meaning that one group got placebo, which is a sugar pill. One group got active medication, and it was randomized. They chose people at random. We did not uh, assign based on age or demographic. So that's really the best kind of study that we're looking for. This took place in the United States and Canada. And what they were looking at, they were looking to use hydroxychloroquine in post-exposure prophylaxis, which is a fancy word for after you've been exposed to COVID-19, does this drug prevent illness? So post-exposure, after exposure, which is different than what they were looking at in the Lancet article, which is more treatment. So what they did was they looked at people who had household or occupational exposure to people with confirmed COVID-19, and they quantified these groups into high risk and moderate risk. High risk is people who were less than six feet away for more than 10 minutes wearing either a mask or an eye shield whereas those with moderate risk exposure were wearing a face mask but no eye shield. Within four days of exposure, they assigned participants randomly to two groups. One group got placebo, one group got hydroxychloroquine. I won't bore you with the dosing, but basically they got a dose, a follow-up dose, and then dosing for four additional days. And what they were looking at here is did the people in the group that received active drug hydroxychloroquine have less illness at the 14-day point? So they, they had 821 people in this study, most of which, almost 90%, were, were high-risk exposure, meaning no shield and no mask. The incidence of illness, new illness, 
between the two groups was not statistically significant. In the placebo group, 14.3% of people got sick. In the hydroxychloroquine group, 11.8% of people got sick, a reduction of 2.4 percentage points, but not enough that to, to, to declare it's statistically significant. It was enough of a spread between those who got sick with placebo and with medication. In addition, there were more side effects in the group with the people who got the active drug. So interestingly, what they did was they took a high-risk population with known exposure through sugar pill or hydroxychloroquine at them, about 400 people in each group, and there was really no reduction in disease. So this is post-exposure. This is not treatment, but another interesting look at hydroxychloroquine. That was my news item for the week, and uh, that was even before the retracted article on Lancet. Mm -hmm. uh, Dom is going to comment on two acronyms which have also entered our vocabulary, CDC and WHO, WHO. What do I do with the information that's spewing out of both of these groups? So it's definitely confusing because if you follow this even going back into February, um, you'll see uh, conflicting statements coming out. So let's step back and look at the focus of these two groups. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, is uh, a U.S.-based organization that really focuses on um, disease prevention, control, and treatment in the United States. And so the, um, the meshwork of healthcare uh, delivery in the United States is different than it may be in, let's say, India or China or Japan or other countries. Um, so the CDC's things are gonna focus on what they know is happening here in the United States and what we have available, what the norms may be, um, what manufacturing capabilities we have for various items um, in terms of prophylaxis. Now, the CDC is not um, uh, omniscient and the CDC, much like the WHO, is made up of people. People are gonna um, interpret data, new data comes out, things are gonna change. So you're gonna see some rolling and changing as things go along. This is also true of the WHO, the World Health Organization, which is a global entity, um, which is funded by many uh, nations around the globe. Uh, and their focus is obviously different. So while they may be tackling the same disease, they're putting out perhaps more generalized uh, guidelines that might be applicable to multiple nations as opposed to just what can be done in, let's say, England or what can be done in France or the United States for that matter. Um, so you are going to see some um, uh, differences. Uh, for example, uh, some of the workplace uh, requirements, some of the initial uh, requirements or suggestions on masks, even the basic hand uh, sanitizer, there's a slight difference in the uh, recommended alcohol content early on between the WHO and CDC. So there are these things out there that will never probably be the same for both of them. Does it mean they're head to head against each other? No, it does not. That's foolish to think that they're competing against each other. One does not have to rely on the other. Um, obviously the data is out there, but it's not that they have to wait or they are dependent upon each other to make a recommendation or make a decision. So going forward, I don't know that there will be parity in what's coming out of those two organizations. However, my own personal uh, wish or hope is that uh, at least in the United States, we see more 
uh, clear guidelines on which one to follow for businesses, whether they be healthcare related businesses, such as doctor's offices, dentist's offices, things like that. Schools, obviously schools are very much tied into what the CDC is recommending, um, but that is also tied in at the state level. Uh, I think that clarity going forward, whichever way it may be, is important for you know, everybody at the ground level to, to understand when they see these uh, differences and, and, and why that is. So don't be frustrated by it. Don't think that we, no one knows what they're doing or it's gonna be uh, one thing one week, one another. The science is evolving, this is evolving, but understand the perspective of these two organizations. It is my honor to welcome our special guest for episode four. Our guest today is Coach Ed O'Melia. Um, Ed and I met back at North Catholic High School. Uh, he was the class of 92 and me class of 91. Um, we were on a couple of activities together and um, after graduation, we went uh, different ways. This is actually the first time I'm directly talking to him without messaging. And gosh, I think it's been about over 20 years perhaps, but um, Facebook <laughs> connects everybody and that's a good thing. Um, Ed has done a couple of things in life, uh, including being an echo tech and a surgical technician for a dermatologist doing Mohs surgery. Um, more recently, what he's doing is working for the local 57 uh, union in heavy highway labor. Um, so uh, if you see him, it might be on one of the local 95 projects in Philly. Um, but Ed's here today to talk about his other passion, which is coaching uh, youth baseball. And he runs the Philly Royals, uh, which is a year-round year club of about 60 players, five teams. Um, they do tournaments locally and up and down the East Coast. And um, he's been a baseball coach for the past nine years in various high school capacities as well, including in the past Newman Garetti and uh, St. Joe's Prep. Um, so we're happy to have him here today to give a different perspective on how COVID has impacted folks in the community. And in this case, we're going to talk about uh, coaching and youth baseball, youth sports. Um, so with that, I'll turn it over to Dr. Cohen for the first question. Ed, thanks for being here tonight. When I hear the phrase Philly Royals, it gets me confused. I, I'm old enough to remember 1980 when they yeah. played the Royals and beat them uh, in game six, but uh, yeah. you got to get a better name for your club. Uh, uh, you know what? We let the kids pick it, so it's funny. Um, when you let, um, you let 12 kids put names in a hat, and some of the crazy stuff that comes out of that hat. So this was the most crisp one that we had. So we went with it and we've, we've rolled with it. It's been about three years and, you know, we've made a name for ourselves. So we, we rolled with it, but we're all Phillies fans, true and true. So Good. Well, that's the first point. The, the major question I have, though, is th th this pandemic ha has really brought children's sports uh, almost to a halt. Yeah. Um, what, what do you see as the impact, you know, as a coach and someone who runs a sports league, on these kids with this, this stoppage of play that really happened overnight? I mean, it's been horrible. I mean, these kids get in such a routine. I mean, I know in our club and a lot of the bigger clubs out there, and it's for any sport, soccer or baseball, like they get in a routine where, you know, they do school and then, you know, two, three nights a week, they're up at the hitting facilities working out and, and uh, you know, throwing the ball around and we get outside when the weather breaks. So I think the routine itself has really messed, messed with these kids. We had a little practice last week. The other day on Sunday, we actually got outside um, and uh, you could see some of the kids' attitudes were actually a little different, you know, as far as on the bad end of it, like, you know, laziness and stuff like that. So um, 
you know, talking to a few people, you know, we kind of have to ask coaches. I, you know, told all my coaches, you have to, you know, almost give them a little leeway right now, even though they're kids, because they are going through a lot and they've been taken out of their routine completely. And it's, it's affecting them. They don't know it because they're kids, but as adults, you know, you can see it. So that's, that's been the major thing, the mental end of it. I mean, physically they're kids. You put them on a field, they're going to run around and act like lunatics, but mentally you can see it with some of them for sure. Yeah, it's um, one of the things that um, I think a lot of uh, folks, parents and, and coaches alike would uh, be concerned with. And I think you, you, um, you have some good things we're going to talk about to kind of combat that in, in, a, in a sense. But from your perspective, and you've probably been in touch with some people, um, you know, maybe locally or even nationally, when, when and how do you see kids sports returning to some semblance of what it was? So, I mean, we've been my, – my, my partner and I that helps me run the Royals, he does the management end of it. We've been pulling our hair out of our heads. Every other day it's a different email, positive and negative. We were – at one point we were told we were going to start mid-May. Um, then we get – you know, we're getting told tournaments are a go a week before they were supposed to start in early May, and we're getting excited. You know, realistically in the back of my head, I kind of always thought we'd get into June. But as the leader of a club, I was trying to stay positive and tell people mid-May. I was, I was always going on one-week time frames. Um, I personally think we're going to be a full go by like July 1st. That's my opinion. Um, I know we're going yellow tomorrow in the Philly area and over here in Jersey, June 22nd, they're opening it up to non-contact sports. So the tournaments have been great. They've been reaching out to us. They just keep pushing back. They give us vouchers for the money we spent. And I, I think by July 1st, I think we're going to start to see some tournaments being played. And, and I think by mid July, August, it's going to be a full blown go. Now, unfortunately for, a lot of people, they, you know, this baseball sometimes ends in July. Um, and then, you know, you give people a chance to get their vacations in in August. And then we get back at it in the fall. But, you know, it's going to just – everybody's schedule is going to be flipped around. And I'm fortunate enough to have great people in my club that understand that. And, you know, they, they know that we're trying to put an email – we're not trying to overdo the emails and, and, and the, the text messages. But maybe once every two weeks we kind of give a status of what's going on with everybody. So – to answer your question, I would say, like, I would think July 1st, and I'm hoping for the third weekend in June. So, Okay, okay. And it's exciting to have, you know, some return to sports, but obviously these kids have been not doing as much as they're used to. What, what can you do to keep your players in physical shape so we, we don't see a whole rash of injuries when these tournaments start in July? Yeah, so we, we you know, not knowing, obviously, what was going on with this pandemic um, at the beginning, everybody, you know, I would say the majority of the people out there just thought this was going to be a two or three week thing. And, you know, let's, all right, oh, we get a nice little break. This is great. And then reality set in and, you know, you start watching the media and the news and, and all that other stuff. And so I, when we, when this happened right away, right away, I went right to Facebook live. I know, you know, it's, it was a great tool for us. I had my stepson who's seven, Jude, he, um, he helped me and we had a lot of fun with it. Before, you know, we were having, you know, we were having, hundred people watching us and we made it entertaining. We made it fun. We did different topics every night. We did the stuff that you could do around the house. We made it fun. Like we used wiffle balls and tennis balls and, and explain to people on our Facebook live, you know, you don't want to break your windows. You don't want mom yelling at you. You don't want to break a lamp, but this is things you can do. You can, you know, you can bounce a ball to a kid. You can work on your swing, not as much swing in the bat, but your approach talking to the kids about, you know, two strike approaches and two O counts and one O counts and, we did, we did about seven or eight Facebook Lives. We did a different topic. You might not be able to do on the field. which So we turned it into a positive. And 
we made our Facebook lives really fun. We did trivia questions at the end and, and I gave out, I have a buddy that works for the Phillies. He donated a bunch of tickets. So we gave out tickets when the Phillies opened back up. And so we, we were able to just, you know, do some stuff and, you know, we, we advise kids to hit off the tee in their yard and, and, you know, you know, maybe now you take the time to get more endurance, maybe jump rope when you're in your, on your lawn or, or you know, run around the block and stuff like that. So we really encouraged that. And it worked out because at our first practice the other night, the kids came back a little rusty baseball wise, but in, they were all in great shape and their endurance, endurance was there. So I can fix the baseball stuff. So that, that's basically what we preach. Just stay busy, you know. So, Ed, uh, along the lines of, uh, you know, really kind of innovative or different things you've done with coaching, um, I know there's something that you had um, kind of adapted as the COVID uh, shutdown kind of um, got underway. And I, I think on one of the local TV stations, you actually got featured for doing this. So you want to talk a little bit about that and uh, just, you know, give us some insight? Yeah, um, so basically, um, when we got started, when the COVID started, we were trying to keep our players sharp. So we, you know, started doing some things around the house, me and my stepson. And uh, we have our front room where I'm in now. And we were just doing little drills. And we decided to start Facebook Live. So then um, a player on our team's mom, Tracy Schmidt, is a producer at Fox 29 News. And she um, saw what we were doing and then went into our went into the um, the show, the Mike Jarrett show in the morning. And he uh, they reached out to me to do a bit on it. So I said, yeah, I didn't know what it was going to be. It was live. It was, it was, it was cool. So we went on and um, they interviewed me for four minutes. My stepson was in full uniform and we went over some drills. We just did, you know, rolling ball. I was rolling balls to him. He was practicing fielding through the ball. We, we did a lot of talking about swinging and, you know, not swinging, but talking about it all. So it was, it was really fun and really neat. It was, a, it was a good four minutes. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like that's the kind of thing that, you know, I think has gotten people out of, the doldrum of we can't get out, we can't do anything. Yeah. Great that you found a way to reach your players and keep them engaged, even though yeah. it's not the same thing as being out on the field. But you know, you get the wheels spinning, you get the the form, that kind of stuff. Just keeping them like mentally sharp was the biggest thing, I think. Like mentally, we talked about it earlier on our interview. Um, the mental end of it was crazy. So just to do some fun things and clown around a little bit, but get working and actually have the kids practice stuff that we teach was was really cool and it uh you know I got a lot of great feedback from people in my club and then people all over the place I actually had a guy from uh Texas <laughs> message me he saw us on Facebook live somehow and said <laughs> it was great and asked me if he would mind if I copycat it down there I was like nah, everybody should be doing this so it was cool man that's really cool. that's yeah. great man and, and um I thank you for doing what you're doing and in, in your part in this COVID uh, pandemic to keep things somewhat sane. Uh, we yeah. really appreciate you coming on and talking about uh, one of the important aspects of how this has affected kids. Um, and uh, keep up the great work, Ed. It was great seeing you again, and it's great having another Falcon brother on. Uh, absolutely. Um, you guys have been doing awesome also. I'm starting to follow Harris now, and Tom, your updates have been awesome. I, I As you know, I share them, and I have a pretty big network and people, you've brought a lot of like good insights, everybody, both of you guys. So keep up the good work on your end. Um, it's been great. So hopefully we'll, we'll get, we'll all get through this and uh, the kids will be playing baseball again. And then hopefully the doctors go back to normalcy and us coaches stop losing our mind. And, you know, <laughs> I think in the end, everybody will, will be happy again soon enough. So good I really stuff. appreciate you guys having me, man. It was good great. Good stuff it was to fun. look forward to.
Thanks again. Yes, sir. Thanks, Take Ed. Care. Great to virtually meet you, man. I might borrow your video and make it go viral as well, man. I'm gonna get. I'm one of my patients practicing baseball, so I might borrow that as well. Awesome. I love it. Thanks, guys. Again, All right. have a good one. All right. Take later. care, Ed. Thank Thanks, you, Ed. guys. Thank you. And that brings us to our user-submitted questions for the week. So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Cohen uh, for uh, the first one. Great. The first question I wanted to address, and I think it's a very good question that's, uh, that gets asked a lot in many different ways, is, is it okay to uh, travel with family to an area of low COVID activity from an area of higher COVID activity to visit family, vacation, etc.? So there's, there's a complicated answer and there's a simple answer. And I think the simple answer prevails here. And I, I think common sense has to be the choice for everybody. So if you're going from Manhattan, which is a very high COVID activity zone months ago, you know, they're, they're sort of crushing the curve now uh, per Governor Cuomo, uh, and you're visiting your parents in Montana, you are definitely going from a higher risk area to a lower risk area. But I think it's safe that if you assume that everybody has asymptomatic COVID, which we don't, but a majority of these cases are asymptomatic and behave accordingly, I think it is safe to visit with family and friends, meaning Stay outdoors as much as possible. Limit your time within six feet of those people to close to zero. If mom or dad or relatives are a little bit older or frail or immunocompromised, wear that mask, even if you're outdoors and having a barbecue. So low COVID, high COVID, medium COVID, it doesn't matter. We all want to see our family and friends. And I think there's a responsible way to do it. I think we're starting to loosen a little bit. We don't want to go too loose. We don't want to have pockets of infection across the entire country, but we want to be responsible. We want to see friends. We want to get back to our social lives and our pre-pandemic lives. We want to fill up our calendars again, but I think caution rules the day. And I think whoever you're going to visit, whoever is less likely to do well, if they get COVID, you really have to protect that person. So it's okay to visit people. Stay outside. You have to go in, stay in a separate bedroom. You have to use your bathroom, wipe down the high-touch areas, the toilet handle, the doorknob and the sink. Be courteous. Don't be in a room in tight confines without a mask for a long period of time within six feet. And we all know that right now. And hand washing rules today. So I think visiting responsibly is wonderful for everybody. Let's not be irresponsible as things start to open. Good. All right. So the next question that came up is, I heard that there is an Ebola outbreak again. Is this true? And is it like COVID? I'll hand it off to Dr. Valentino. Yeah, it's, it's hard to uh, ignore a headline like that. And although this is supposed to be a one virus show, um, when you hear Ebola, uh, you know, ears kind of go up. And yes, there is an outbreak, it's small at this point, and it does happen every couple of years. It's in Africa. Uh, the WHO sends a team out there to assess and contain um, but Ebola is uh, a bit different, a, a lot different than COVID in both the way it infects, what it causes, um, mortality. It's not, it's not really uh, in the same ballpark. So this is a, a different disease that causes a severe uh, diarrheal illness with a lot of loss of fluids that puts your uh, kidneys into failure. You go into shock, you have organ failure from it. Um, it affects your blood clotting system where you can, um, you can bleed excessively. Uh, so it is not anything like uh, COVID and transmissibility is, um, is great, but it is not 
in the same kind of way we would worry about COVID uh, being transmitted. So um, I don't think it's anything at this point to worry about. These outbreaks have been going on um, sporadically for years. Um, we prepared for this several years ago. If folks remember, there were actually uh, a, a very small handful of cases um, that got to the United States, um, several of whom were successfully treated and recovered. Um, but this is a different, uh, very different animal compared to uh, COVID. So uh, I would not worry about it at the moment, but if you heard the headline, we're just confirming, yes, that is true. And uh, to another question that we uh, get a lot, uh, we're asked and we receive in emails and I think family members ask us this as well, is it safe to go back to the dentist? I need uh, dental work, I need dental cleaning, you know, that kind of stuff. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, all along, dentists were still doing emergency procedures, just like most surgeons and most hospitals were doing, and things that were deemed elective were put on hold. So a preventive cleaning, a preventive maintenance for your mouth is as important as seeing your doctor for your preventive visits, for your annual physicals, three-month follow-ups, and six-month follow-ups. And the good news is your dentists are ready to have you back. Uh, they are open for elective procedures at in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, I think 35 states are now open for elective procedures. The dentists are following very strict guidelines, very strict scheduling, just like your primary care doctors are going to, to make it a safe environment and safe experience for you. Remember, dentists are in your mouth the whole time. Doctors are sometimes in the mouth, but we have a lot of other areas to check. So they're taking all precautions, not only to protect you, but to protect them, the staff, and the hygienists to make it a safe experience. So if you're due for your cleaning, it's time to pick up the phone and call your dentist's office and make that appointment. It's always okay to ask, hey, what have you done to make it safer for me? What is your office providing so that I know that I'm going to be safe? But what we don't want is you to skip your preventive cleaning and then winding up with gingival disease or cavities or things down the line that need a root canal that could have been prevented now. So do get back on the calendar for your twice a year cleanings. Do call your dentist's office if you have any questions or concerns they're going to answer those for you just like your primary care doctor's office will. You want to make sure it's a safe experience and to keep you healthy. So dentists are ready for you. But, you know, we're, we're calling, we're, we're, we're in Jersey and Pennsylvania right here. So they're ready in our area. And I think most states are there as well. And the, the final question that we got uh, this week that we're going to sort of dip into, and this is in the news quite a bit, is as far as masks, um, are there any risks? Are there true risks to wearing a mask? You know, it's going to be hot outside. People have asthma, people have COPD, uh, people have all sorts of lung disease. Who should wear a mask? Who is not safe to wear a mask? Who might be fibbing a little bit when they say they can't wear a mask? So I'm gonna hand that one off to our pulmonologist, Dr. Valentino. Yeah, so great question. And there's you know some misconceptions out there. And I'm gonna refer to primarily the cloth masks, which is what folks should be wearing out there. We're generally not recommending that people be running around with N95s outside or uh, or wrappers, R-A-P-Rs, which are the, the larger with removable filters, very tight fitting that you may have seen. Um, we're talking about the cloth masks that really folks um, should be wearing. You're going out shopping, you're going to the doctor's office. Um, some basics. So right now, room air that we're all breathing has 21% oxygen. Uh, most of the rest of that gas we breathe in is nitrogen, which is inert. It doesn't do anything. It just is there. And then there's a small amount of carbon dioxide. 
that's CO2, not to be confused with carbon monoxide, that's a different animal. So when we breathe out air, there's about 17% oxygen and there's a higher amount of carbon dioxide. That's the exhaust gas, if you wanna think of it that way, that our bodies make and we exhale, we expel it from our body by exhaling it. Uh, and of course the balance of that um, air is, is nitrogen, like I said. So with a cloth mask, air can get through there. It's not tight fitting. So if you were to walk around with an N95 tightly fitting, you could theoretically be rebreathing some of the exhaled carbon dioxide. And the faster you were breathing, the more carbon dioxide you're generating, um, you could theoretically get some elevations in your blood carbon dioxide because you're inhaling the same stuff you're exhaling. That's not the case with cloth masks. Cloth masks, that air comes out, it does not get trapped. Um, people may be sensitive to the type of material. That's one thing. There's a lot of different materials out there you can choose from. People may um, not like something on their face. Again, that's not the absolute reason not to wear a mask. Um, people might say, um, you know, I have asthma or I have COPD and wearing a mask might trigger my asthma or COPD. Um, generally, that's pretty unlikely. Um, if anything, that mask for an asthmatic, that mask is an actual barrier to pollen uh, maybe getting up your nose or into your uh, into your airway, which in many asthmatics is a trigger for wheezing or bronchospasm. So there are some benefits there. Now, I will say warm weather in patients who have asthma or COPD can be a problem. Uh, a lot of COPD patients um, will say when it's really warm and humid out, I can't breathe as well. So whether or not you had a mask, it's not that issue. It's the issue of the temperature. And we generally advise those folks to stay in air conditioned environments. If you go into the car, please put the air conditioner on. You go into stores that are air conditioned. Um, but the idea that you are going to um, give yourself uh, an infection, the COVID infection or another infection by wearing a cloth mask in and of itself, no. Now, if you're handsy and you're touching your face, that's a different story, but that can happen with or without a mask. That's why they say avoid touching your face, wash your hands frequently. Um, but we did wanna just dispel some of those uh, myths about what's going on with the mask and you know what it's gonna do to you. Um, and so, and, and again, societies, the CDC, the WHO are still recommending as a reasonable way of prevention, in addition to six foot spacing, hand washing, a basic mask can help prevent the COVID virus from getting into the environment on surfaces, touching, and that's how it cuts down on transmission. So I hope that addresses that question. And uh, with that, we're gonna wrap up the show for today. Um, like we, we've done in previous episodes, um, we do have uh, a preview of episode five. Uh, we have a special guest, Mr. Tom uh, Degnan, who is um, a really uh, interesting uh, gentleman. He actually was an otherwise healthy man uh, in our similar age group. We're in our uh, mid to late 40s, uh, approaching 30s, 30s, mid to late 30s. Sorry, I misspoke. Exactly. Uh, and uh, he actually, um, he lived COVID. Uh, he had it and uh, he recovered and has an interesting story to tell. So I think um, we'll get perspective directly from a patient, which is great. Uh, in the interim, uh, Dr. Cohen and I would like to remind you to continue to send questions and feedback to between 
docs at gmail.com and two is spelled out. Um, and we're again, we're going to keep trying to get you out a new episode every week. Uh, we're working at it. If we, if we didn't have uh, mother nature working against us this week, this one might be out a little bit sooner. Um, but we appreciate you uh, watching, listening, and sending us comments. And stay safe, stay well. We'll see you next week. See you next time.